Hello and welcome to True Crime People and Places, the podcast where we explore the world of true crime from an academic and personal perspective. I'm Linda Sage, a criminal psychologist with over four decades of experience working with some of the most dangerous individuals in the world. This is a fairly new podcast and we are developing the systems and growing our audience. So we appreciate your support and feedback. This podcast may contain discussions of violence, murder, sexual assault and other topics related to true crime. Listener discretion is advised. If you are sensitive to these topics, please be aware that this podcast may be triggering you. If at any time you feel overwhelmed or distressed, please take a break and seek support from a mental health professional or support organisation. Hi and welcome. I'm Linda Sage and this is True Crime People and Places podcast. Today we're going to go back to some basics because uh, whenever industry you work in, we always have jargon and uh, we get used to using it and sometimes forget that not everybody else follows or understands what uh, the meaning is to our particular area. And I'm often asked about the the types of the judicial system within uh, the confines of uh, United Kingdom and also about the types of prison. So that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to just pop back and uh, reiterate a little bit about the, the differences because it is a little bit complicated. In England and Wales, we're joined together and we have one system. Then in Scotland and in Northern Ireland, they have a different uh, type of system. So although we're together under um, UK, there are different systems within that. I personally have only worked within the England and Wales system. Um, Although I've been in some Scottish prisons, I haven't particularly worked in that area at all. So at the moment, as time states, that uh, there's just under 85,000 prisoners in England and Wales. So the latest figures in March of this year were 84,372. That is 122 prisons uh, within England and Wales. And then we have um, 15 in Scotland and four prisons in Northern Ireland. So the, the difference within that, Scotland has a completely different judicial system and Northern Ireland is similar to ours, but a, a little bit different. So we have different categories as well. The prisons here within our jurisdiction are, go from A, B, C and D category. We have female prisons and we also have uh, young offenders and um, secure training units. This is for people that obviously are younger. The criminal age of consent in um, England and Wales is 10 years old. Now, if we go back in history and we look at Mary Bell, she was probably um, one of the first youngsters that were um, taken to to court for it should have been murder. But at the time, they believed that uh, children didn't commit murder. So she was uh, uh, convicted of manslaughter with uh, diminished responsibility. So that is why she um when we come up to Jamie Bolger case that they were the first ones that were really um convicted on this scale so 
for over 18s, we have, say, 122 prisons. And within those prisons are different categories, the A, B, C and D. And within those categories, we have quite a, a, a distinction. So the A category are for those type of people that would escape. And they're dangerous to the public or national security. They are typically an example of convicted offences such as murder, manslaughter, terrorism, rape, wounding with intent, robbery, serious firearms and explosive offences, and also offences against the state. Those sentenced under the Official Secrets Act or any attempt of those offences. There's 10 uh, category A prisons in the UK, eight are located in England and Wales, and one in Scotland and one in Northern Ireland. So Belmarsh is an ex uh, example of a category A prison. Uh, you've got Wakefield, Full Sutton and several others. Basically, these are the most notorious and most dangerous people that are put behind bars. Not to say that a lot of those same sort of offences are not in uh, B categories as well, because the B category are those that say do not require maximum security, but for whom escape is still need to be difficult. So they're convicted of some of the same offences as the A prisoners, but they're not to be judged at such a risk as a, and uh, very often uh, the B categories are also used as local prisons and um, uh, pe uh, ones that people are coming to court in in the area. They're sometimes um, stepping stone prisons. People will, will move around and things like this. So category prisons, category, category B prisons have uh, quite a lot of different roles. Um, Wormwood Scrubs, um, Armley in in Leeds. You know, prisons like this, local prisons, are very much usually in the B category. And then we have a C category for those who cannot be trusted uh, uh, to be in conditions that who are unlikely to escape. So they're not thought to be, but very often these are non-violent types of crimes. So those are convicted for minor offences or serving shorter sentences. So no more than a, a few years. Also, people, as they're going through their um, prison sentence, if they've been given a longer prison sentence, they can typically go down into the low category of prisons as they get nearer to their time of um, being released because it helps them then integrate back into society. So prisoners coming to the end of their sentences are downgraded and places like HM um, Berwyn is an example of um, and Ford is another prison. So the last one and of all of these is category D and those who are reasonably trusted uh, not to escape. They're given privileges of an open prison. Uh, very often they go uh, out to work and they come back in the evening into the local community. They have um, a set hour of weeks that they have to, to be behind bars evenings and weekends, or maybe they get time to go off to um, see families and uh, home visits as well. But it could be that they're going out onto the end of their um, sentence to actually go down into those. So uh, 
Adult women in England are a different story, and uh, England and Wales, of course, they put them together. The categories are uh, slightly different because um, we really didn't have a huge amount of women that were classed as category A. But now there are two, there are two prisons, the um, Bronzefield, which was purpose built, and County Durham is seen as um, the higher category prisons for the most uh, violent offenders uh, within the female section. So having time to um, look at this, what they usually do is they have a closed or restricted status. So Northern Ireland operates a similar system to England and Wales. Scotland operates a separate three category system from lowest to highest, low, medium and high supervision. The highest um, being similar to category A for adults in England, Wales and Northern Ireland. So additionally, males and females aged 18 and above are housed in dedicated adult prisons. Those under 18, sometimes under the age of 21, uh, especially depending on uh, mental uh, ability, are held in um, types of establishments for younger people. Because as I say, the, from the age of 10, criminal responsibility is established under law. So you've got young offenders institutions, which are prisons-based uh, establishments, very similar to adult prisons, but those convicted remands on offences but only hold a male aged 15 to 20s. Now they do have some for female, as I say, because of uh, Bronzefield and uh, also Newhall. Um, there's some younger females in there. And they're also classed as vulnerable. Secure training units, which are custody establishment that focus much more on education, welfare, health and support rather than the traditional prison style punishment. They hold convicted males aged 12 to 14 and females 12 to 17 in separate accommodation, though males aged 15 to 17 can also be classed as vulnerable. And the last area, which is the youngest ones of the offenders, so secure uh, children's homes, uh, which are similar to the secure training centres in that they mainly focus on education, welfare, health and support rather than traditional prison style punishment. They hold very young males and females, 10 to 11, convicted or remanded, usually for only serious offences. So males and females aged 12 to 14 can be housed and classed as vulnerable. Additionally, males and females all the way up to 17 can be housed if they uh, refuse bail and remanded, but not yet convicted. They can be held at a children's authority and not prison service. They are more vulnerable at risk um, or a, a young offenders institute is not suitable. It should also be known that all children held in secure children's homes have not necessarily been convicted, remanded or accused of crimes. Some are held by courts on safety grounds under legislation for the Children's Act of uh, 1989. So especially if they have a history of absconding or they're at risk of committing harm to themselves or others. All in all, there, there are 34 still left of the uh, Victorian prisons that perhaps we think of more of the um, areas of prisons. A lot of the prisons since I've been working have closed. Uh, Holloway, 
that was uh, the largest female prison in the whole of the Western Europe at one time, but they closed their doors. Uh, Bronzefield was especially built for that. So a lot of the prisoners, uh, female prisoners from there. Of course, uh, Holloway saw everything from the suffragettes uh, all the way through to uh, modern day um, major criminals like Myra Hindley and uh, people in that vein. So there's lots of different areas within that. So Bronzefield is currently only one of two prisoners that are prisons that are built for category A prisoners in female. So they're usually known as the highest restriction and they have the most um, violent females in the UK. Unfortunately, the number of females is rising. So it's one of the areas and youth crime is rising incredibly quickly. In fact, the, the forecast for the next year is saying that, that children in custody in England and Wales is likely to be more than double. These figures came from the National Audit Office because they, they, there's lots of different, there are various different reasons for this because there is um, additional police offices uh, reversing COVID-19 and the court backlog. So there's a lot more people going through courts. There's tougher sentencing now uh, passed of the police crime sentencing so the, and the reform bill. So 10 years ago in the UK, we did not have any young offenders with, uh, with life tariffs. We are now in the hundreds and it is going to be getting more than that in the time to come. So there's an awful lot of... Uh, people that are within the system that are violent. There's a lot of people that go in. Over 8,000 of the young offenders came into the system for the first time, uh, well, nearly 9,000 uh, for one year. And that's an awful lot of um, people coming into the justice system for the, the first time. We don't have the... Um, any death penalty within the UK sentence policy that went out in um, early 1960s. In fact, uh, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley were on remand um, before and it actually went before out before they were convicted. Otherwise, you know, there was actually cause for it to come back for them to actually be hung, but uh, obviously that didn't happen. But now we have full life uh, sentences that really do mean full life sentences. There's only been three women that have been given these sentences. One with Myra Hindley, uh, Rose West was the second one, and Joanna Donahue is the other one. We do have more males than that within the system, but uh, Unlike the US, we we haven't got that huge amount of, of people uh, like that. We still have um, a limited amount of people. So it's relatively, we hear an awful lot of people talking about, uh, especially within the media and uh, films and TV and everything like this, but it's minimal. You know, serial killers are less than 1% of the killers that we have. We are still very low in the murder rate throughout the world, but it still doesn't make it even any less when you, you or your family or somebody you know has been affected by this. 
The, the prisons usually run with um, some sort of workshop, some education, obviously um, medical and um, psychological support within the system as well. So being inside them, they are uh, quite like fortresses. They were built as fortresses and the newer ones were actually more uh, are actually more open and light. Uh, the security is more centralised, whereas you know, we still go through lots of um, gates with keys in the older types of prison. Whereas the new ones, it's uh, digitally enhanced and fingers and things like that. For me, that was often pr a problem because for some reason, my fingerprints don't like to be, be taken. And uh, very often I would struggle with getting through um, doors or opening lockers and things like this to get things out because uh, especially like on cold days and things like that, my fingerprint would not register. So although we have come a long way on types of security, it's one of the things that uh, some people for some reason, and I was one of them, really struggle with. So during the, the courts, there's very few people that outrank trial judges, but one of the few that does is the Home Secretary. In outstanding circumstances, the Secretary of State for the Home Department can directly impose the order themselves for a life tariff. It's a move usually reserved for highly uh, extreme profiles and disturbing crimes. At the moment, there are just 11 inmates serving entire life sentences that have been handed to them by the Home Secretary. So you may expect it's one of the British criminal notoriety. So Rose West was one of them. I've got a few names here. So Rose West, John Childs, Robert Morsley, Peter Moore, Malcolm Green, Mark Robinson, Arthur Hutchinson, Anthony Arkwright, Victor Miller, John Duffy and Geoffrey Bamber. There are a few more, but they've uh, already died within um, inside their sentence. Of course, that was um, Harold Shipman, the doctor. We've got Dennis Nielsen, who is somebody that I did an awful lot of work with and met on many times. Also, Ian Brady and Myra Hindley. Then we have the Robert Black, Colin Ireland, Anthony Hardy, and the most recent one, which was just uh, towards the end of last year, which was Peter Tobin. So uh, they have actually died within the, the prison system. Years ago within the prison system, when they, we did have a, a hanging system, when people died, they, uh, they, they were committed for burial, but they were stood up because they were not seen to be allowed to lay to rest. Whereas now they do uh, remove the remains, usually they have them cremated and disposed of at sea. Because uh, for a lot of these people, especially the most notorious ones, they don't actually want them to be a, a shrine for people to go and visit. So usually their bodies are removed and disposed of. With a funeral, usually very, very few people that are there to uh, be part of it, but it is something that um, is taken on and paid for, usually by the state.
This time has gone very, very quickly. We're trying to keep the podcast to quite a short interview. Obviously, there's a lot more that could be talked about this uh, scenario and also some of the people that I've talked about today. So we will be back to visit this again. If you have any queries, any questions, any burning desires to know something, then I will be talking a bit more about this at a later date. So do drop me a line and... uh, Drop me any ideas of people that you'd be particularly interested in knowing more about. Also, anybody perhaps you'd like uh, to hear an interview with, because I am uh, taking uh, guests for interviews with the podcast as well. So for now, thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to True Crime People and Places. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review. And if you have any suggestions for future topics, please let us know. See you next time.